Hi, y'all. Welcome to Punching Out. My name is Noah, and today I am joined by Lou. Hey, guys. And if you listen regularly to this show, you may have noticed that Lou hasn't been on in a while. Lou, would you like to tell us why that's the case? Well, basically, work just broke me. How so? It's been a long, long, long spring for me. And and my job is really seasonal, so it's not typically like this. So this has been a... It's been a trying time for me. I don't even remember the last show I did. It was months ago, whatever it was. I don't know, maybe back in January. But that's basically been how long it's taken me to get a handle on work and just get the mental energy to to come back here and be snarky about work. You, you were telling me just before we started recording, you described the month of March for you work-wise, as a month-long panic attack. Yeah, it was. I was trying to get people to call it Meltdown March so that I could participate early in Meltdown May because it was just... You would. <laughs> I would. Uh, May's been going, okay, I'm finally at a place that I can, you know, do this and and I, I feel better at work. But it, basically from the third week of January until now, I've been struggling hard because of work, which is not like me. I I do, and I still really enjoy my job, um, but just the circumstances I was in, March, just simply put, was basically a month-long panic attack that every day I'd go in and I'd feel sick to my stomach, and I would be worrying about all the things that I couldn't do because I had to be doing other things. Um, And then just also anticipating that very shortly, you know, starting in April, that things would be 10 times worse and that I could not do anything to prepare for it. And so just just knowing what was coming and not being able to prepare it on top of having the situation I was in just made me sick. It was terrible. It was really awful. It, it certainly sounds like it. If you're wondering, we're not just asking Lou to relive her <laughs> horrible last few months. Right. Uh, just out of a desire to, I don't know, torture her on air. <laughs> but also because today we want to talk about something that in recent years has become, I mean, what isn't this true for? But in recent years, we've begun to acknowledge that work has an impact on us beyond our bodies, that it has an impact on our minds and on what you might call our souls. It it gives us work creates and and can harm us mentally and emotionally as well as physically. And that's something that for really the longest time, people didn't want to acknowledge. I, I think it's at the root of, you hear a lot of like, well, I'm, I understand why minors need unions, but not secretaries or teachers. And that sort of thing, I think ultimately is, is trying not to acknowledge the fact that there is work that may not be physically stressful, at least not primarily, but which can mentally and emotionally absolutely ruin you. Mm -hmm. And you just heard Lou sort of uh, talk about her experience with that. I was particularly stricken by your description of March as a month-long panic attack because (laughs) very recently, um, in February of this year, The Verge actually reported on a set of workers who... um, for whom panic attacks, actual legitimate panic attacks, are a near daily occurrence. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who these people were? Yeah, so it, it was going around the internet a few months ago, um, these, these stories about the content moderators for companies like Facebook and Twitter who, for to sum it up, their, their job is to sift through all of the excrement that humans put on these websites, you know, violent acts, graphically sexual acts, racist everything under the planet, and they have to sift through that all and either block it or say, yeah, this is legit, that's fine. Their jobs can go from anything from determining how much of a boob is allowed to be shown on on a, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, all the way to screening for mass murders. Uh, as they're happening. As they're happening. Right. And and it's cr- incredibly traumatic for the obvious reasons. You know, if you're exposed to that kind of content day in, day out, not just 
as a hobby, but as your job, as your living, eight hours for, for 40 hours a week, that's your job. Um, night and day, endless, that's soul crushing. And then on top of that, knowing that, you know, existentially, what does it matter? Because somebody somewhere is going to disagree with the decision you made anyway. And right. that can affect your job anyway. That, that's one thing they talked about. The article from The Verge by Casey Newton points out that Facebook has about 15,000 people doing content moderation just in North America. And one of the things that they mention here is that most of these moderators work not for Facebook directly. Facebook employees, full-time Facebook employees are uh, famously lavished with perks. They work in offices that are designed by famous name brand architects and people like that. But these people work in a complex that has minimal space, that has, you know, two stall bathrooms for hundreds of employees, that barely has uh, the kind of services that Facebook touts as part of working there. And for a, a shift, these people have to make uh, something like 300, 400 decisions on what is appropriate, what is allowed to stay up based on immensely arcane texts that Facebook sends them. I think somebody said that uh, there's the basic guidelines and then there's this thing called, quote unquote, known questions. I think it's 15,000 words yeah. and you basically have to memorize it in order to make the those decisions. And if you're lucky a word I'm using advisedly here, <laughs> you might make up to about 400 of these decisions a day, and then one day you might be in line for a promotion to become one of the subject matter experts who can sort of tell people, uh, yes, that decision you're about to make is correct, or maybe no, that one, you should choose the other thing or what have you. Or you might become one of the quality assurance people, which puts you in a really weird position because now you're in charge of auditing your coworkers. You take 50 to 60 of those whatever decisions that they make a week and you decide whether you agree with them or not. And then Facebook then takes a subset of your decisions and audits those. So there's like a whole three-step process to not only <laughs> – not only throw these employees under the bus of the accumulated weight of human misery and rage that we put everyone else in our world through on a daily basis, but on top of that, a lot of what you find in, in this article is that this is a job like any other job exposed to all the same abuses mm -hmm. as every other job. The problem is that the job itself sucks right. so much worse. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really... You know, you never think of a content moderator as a job, but it does employ thousands of people in this country and people across the world because this is something that's contracted out to the lowest better. Whoever will fill this, Facebook will hire them. You know, there's there's very little regulation on the part of employers. Um, it's pretty obvious when you start thinking about it what the mental toll is for these content moderators, what that could look like. Uh, you know, we talk, it, you, you hear widely in the news, you know, the, the effects of PTSD and uh, armed forces and, and so on and so forth, and, and people who have survived mass shootings. And you're just subjecting, you're t paying people to subject themselves to that same thing, but intensely focused, not just this could happen randomly. This is, you know, daily, daily occurrences. And that is truly damaging, not, not just to your mind, but to your soul. And, you know, they had stories in that article about how some of the effects of people working in this environment where they were taking riskier behavior as far as um, sexual encounters and as far as drug use. Some people started believing the, the fringe conspiracy theories that, you know, if you're exposed to it every day, why not? What, what is the point of everything if this is what you're seeing day in and day out? You know, it destroys you. We've said before on this show that Americans will essentially put up with anything from their workplace in a way that they wouldn't from their teachers, their peers, their politicians, but they'll put up with it from their workplace. And I mean, what a better, ex what example better than this 
we talk about PTSD when it comes to survivors of mass shootings. We talk about PTSD when it comes to uh, veterans and things like that. But we <laughs> certainly don't talk about it when it comes to the people who are in charge of ensuring that your Facebook feed at home is not literally just right. wall-to-wall horrendous right. acts. And And worse, I think, is just the... At the end of the day, this is such a meaningless job, you know, because because social media, it's it's influential. It's it matters in terms of everyday interaction. But you're doing this so that somebody can casually scroll through without having to see what these people are saying. So they're they're putting their their souls, for lack of a better term, on the line for your casual enjoyment. And that's tragic. Mm -hmm. It's. It really is just it's straight up barbaric. But but don't worry about it because in the article they quote the guy who sees um, oversees this vendor's content moderation operation North America, and he says that we share examples of the kinds of things you can see so that the people doing this job have an understanding. The intention of all that is to ensure that people understand it. And if they don't feel that work is potentially suited for them based on their situation, they can make those decisions as appropriate. So, you know, they're, they're free to, to go work somewhere else for less money. Right. Because that's the thing. These are relatively well-paid jobs. Until recently, they had to be $15 an hour jobs at minimum. And in many markets, they were above that. And Facebook announced after this article came out that they were actually going to raise the minimum wage for these jobs to, at the very least, $18, and in a lot of markets, as high as 22 So in many of these places, yeah. this is going to be the best game in town for you if what you want, what you need, ultimately, is a paycheck that lets you make rent, buy food. Right. That's that's something, you know, tiny tangent that's not discussed often enough in <laughs> the the media at large is the the manipulation of labor and how you know oh you, the labor market's free because you can just go get another job no you can't that was a chunk of my anxiety with this spring was just concern over my my livelihood and the fact that I do have a job that's perfectly suited for me and and what I do and the precariousness of that you know that feeds into a lot of people's mental health issues when it comes to work is the the precariousness of life as we know it right now you know at any moment your boss if you live in an atwell state could just be like nah bye you know they can up and move to another state that's got another cheap, country yeah another state another country and leave you with absolutely nothing they have no obligations to you whatsoever and that is hurtful Part of why I love my job is because I do know that, or I, I believe at least, that my boss cares about me as a person and would fight for my job and for that. But I don't know that other people that she has to work for would. And that makes things scary. And not to minimize your, your psychic pain or, or the, <laughs> you know, the, the troubles pain. that you're facing. But that is what it is, isn't it? Is. it? You know, the, yeah. the stress and anxiety... Not to minimize that, but at least what you deal with on a daily basis isn't, isn't seeing isn't the Facebook, literal yeah. worst of humanity. Isn't seeing, you know, rapes and murders and stabbings and, and racist acts and killings, everything possibly bad in the world. And I find it particularly interesting that a few months after this article came out very recently, I want to say it was Twitter that revealed that the reason they can't take action on hate speech and, and certain things as aggressively as they claim they would like, Jack, you're lying, we all know <laughs> it, is because it would unfairly tag Republican politicians and right-wing figures. No Which way. is the most no-dog no moment. No kidding. I mean, it's... <laughs> It gives the game really? away to say, we can't do this because it would target members of a party that that's all, that's all they, they peddle put in. out. Yeah. Uh, you know, but everything has to be fair and balanced. It's very important that things are fair and balanced. Um, you must remember the discourse, Noah, the, the, the there discourse. There was a thing called the fairness doctrine, ironically enough, that boomers probably remember pretty well because they're all boomers. annoyed by it. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I, I think it just to go back for a bit, mm -hmm. um, you know, the the efficiency and the the perfection goal for these Facebook moderators 
is... Can you go into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, to back up. So that's that was that metric you were talking about, Noah, where they are audited and then a group of auditors is audited and that, that, that mm-hmm. ranking thing. It basically means that you start at 100%. And the only way, you know, 100% accuracy is when you have zero, zero disagreements. disagreements. Thank you. So you can only go down from there. So every additional one you make increases the likeliness of or, or adds to the possible points of failure for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, so just by nature of how they score these people, because that's, that's also something that's very stressful is having a metric that is um, supposedly objective and that kind of thing that doesn't take into account circumstances or whatever, um, that kind of object- or objective metric can only increase your anxiety as you're going on. Like in your head, you've got to be thinking, oh, well, this, this is going to be the day. If I mess up this one disagreement or whatever it's called, I'm going to lose my job because they do have a threshold that they can't pass. Like it's mm-hmm. something well, there's, in the 90%. They're supposed to stay at 95%, but the article makes a good, um, makes a point of mentioning that the vendor they're dealing with has never made it to 95% for longer than like a week at a time or something. Right. So in which case it's doubly disheartening because not only have they set impossible standards, but your job is going to continuously be at risk if they decide at this point, yeah, no, this is the time now that we're going to crack down these standards, even though nobody has met them thus far. And that's like, to me as well, I identify strongly with that. And that was one where I was like, oh man, me too. Because I constantly think in the back of my head, is this going to be the day that I'm going to snap and just go, go insane and hit somebody at work? I don't know. I have nightmares about that. I, I have literal nightmares about me snapping and just starting hitting somebody I'm interacting with. Not a coworker, but somebody in the wild. It's funny you mentioned you, you make the caveat that this wouldn't happen to a coworker because that's one of the people interviewed in the article who is in charge of auditing other people's decisions mentions that coworkers of his were literally threatening him in the parking lot. Right, because uh, it's their livelihood another, at stake. Right. It, it's it a ridiculous, yeah. It, it pits people within the same workplace directly against each other. Right. And just sticking with that theme for a second, I, I was thinking about when, when I was doing the readings for this, there's that old joke about going postal mm-hmm. that was based on supposedly it, to hear people who were around in most of the 80s tell it. There was just a wave of male people going freaking nuts all over the country. And- the thing is, like, being a postal worker sucks as a job. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a great job. And the fact that we treated what should have been prima facie evidence that this job that sucks was leading people to have nervous breakdowns on the job, that we treated it as a joke, not as a source of concern, but as a source of fun. On yeah. Honestly, by most of the people making those jokes, peers of theirs, people whom you would see on the street you would walk alongside at the shopping mall right people that you would you know hang out with maybe at a bar or whatever right the fact that that's what it became and the fact that similarly i don't think anybody was you know like i don't think anybody quit facebook over finding out this is what the people who moderate facebook are like i certainly and i'm guilty of that too like i know that uh social media that i use those companies must be doing the same thing and as far as i know but I haven't quit any of them either. Right. And it's because the people who are making those jokes, you know, f- don't respect the work that those other people are doing. They don't, you know, it's it's these white collar workers mostly who are thinking, oh, you think uh, handing out packages to a house is really tough? You should uh, try handling million dollar accounts and then you'll know what real pressure is like. Yeah, that's it. You should you should try being a doctor someday or something like that. Like really derisive thoughts about another profession when they know very well if they've ever thought for a second about the service worker they're interacting with and how, you know, if they get their coffee order wrong, they're going to flip their whatever and throw coffee at the barista. Like, I don't have much respect for the people who make those kinds of jokes because it demonstrates a complete lack of empathy 
for their fellow humans. It, it's it's a classic bit of man's inhumanity to man. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to try to talk a little bit more about works in humanity to man. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hey guys, welcome back to Punching Out. Uh, I'm Lou, and I'm talking with Noah this week about mental health and how work can ruin that for you. Uh, it, we just finished discussing specifically how Facebook moderators, the content moderators that work for social media companies, their job is especially damaging just because of the fact that what they do deals with the literal worst of humanity day in and day out constantly. And that can obviously have a lot of adverse effects on somebody's mental well-being. But work in general especially given how work operates in the 21st century, is pretty damaging, stressful, anxiety-inducing, regardless of what industry you're working at. Uh, you know, Noah, you've talked before about how teaching is really stressful. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things that it's commonly acknowledged that teaching is very stressful, uh, be, a, be you a current teacher, a former teacher, a current parent of a student, a current student. <laughs> um, Education is rough. Yeah, like everyone agrees with that. But I think one of the most unacknowledged bits of that is that no one wants to admit that nobody is making that better. There are many factors that militate against that. We have largely as a society decided that things like manners are a little bit passe. And to some degree, that kind of makes sense. We've decided that we're going to prize actual emotional maturity and ethics over, you know, the right way to sip your tea. So mm -hmm. I get that. But at the same time, when you're dealing with children and teenagers, they often need the, that outward structure. Because one of the things that education is supposed to do is to create good people, good citizens who can interact with each other in society. For a lot of us, that's, they would say that's indoctrination. But I think part of the job of an educational system is to prepare people to be around other people without harming them and without having a deleterious impact on their lives. And we don't do that very well because we've instead decided that we're going to structure our, our educational system in a way that makes it as adversarial and individualistic and competitive as possible while still, you know, if you're a teacher, you get all this stuff about cooperation and collaboration and how you should be nicer and you should teach your kids to be nicer and your coworkers should be nicer and all this stuff. But the thing is the school system doesn't really bear that out. So ultimately at your core – um, the way teaching works advocates against itself. It does. And there's just nothing that's ever, there is nothing that can fix that. No amount of counseling, no amount of employee assistance programs, which by the way are often crap, uh, no amount of mental health services are going to help the fact that you are doing your, that if you do your job well, you are going against what your job actually is. If you are teaching what you should be teaching, the correct values that you should be teaching, you are going against the way that the system is set up for you to teach. And yeah. that fundamental tension breaks pretty much every teacher I know at some point or another. And I don't think it's that surprising to see that we have massive rates of teacher burnout, that we have a massive teacher shortage, even in states that used not to have it, like New York, even in states that paid relatively well, Nobody's signing up for the job because we've all acknowledged that it's hugely difficult, but nobody wants to say, okay, then let's make it a better job to have because that requires, it, it's the hugest collective action problem. It requires us to solve so many other issues that it just can't, um, you know, nobody can figure out where to start or whether they would even want to, but I'm rambling. Well, no, I mean, you're absolutely right, Noah, and that, that tension between 
trying to and and traditionally instilling the values of cooperation um citizenship and everything like that is fundamentally at odds with the attitude that the rest of society has that one individual action is far more important than anything you can do as a society which is reinforced when these students go to uh, you know college and so on and then learn well no you need to be more aggressive you need to be you know I took courses that were literally uh, the selfish the selfish action is actually better for society as a whole and that's why you should do it even if the outcomes are honestly worse the the rational action the right, rational action is the yes, selfish indeed. one yeah, yeah okay we took some uh, of the same classes we did uh, so those on teacher your students leave you and then they learn that and then society turns that around to well if you're teaching you're a chump you know put it simply that's mm-hmm. what it is. So not only do you have that tension between trying to raise good citizens and everything being a competition where there can only be one winner, whether it's school funding or the career that your students are later going to be participating in, but then your students come back and they start leading the government and everything and they turn to you and say, your profession is not valuable because it's not teaching the, the, the values that made us powerful and constantly undermines teaching as a profession, as an institution, and, you know, creates the, the, the crisis that now exists in the teaching world. You heard it here first, folks. Teaching is bad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right here, right now. Nobody said this before. It's but not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's not Suboptimal. good. Suboptimal. Yeah, and it, there was an article um, I read this week that listed teaching as one of the profession's most susceptible to absenteeism due to mental health issues, partly in, and largely, I would say, because of the issues that you were talking about. And that was in the UK, which has, in some ways, better working conditions than the United States. <laughs> Not for long. No, it won't. But, um, you know, this is a job that famously, if you're a teacher, you will constantly be reminded, you get the summer off. And despite that, teachers are apparently just constantly disappearing out of work to go handle depression or anxiety or because the doctor needs them. So <laughs> it's, it, it is the United Kingdom. So it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that a profession that is always framed as being so rewarding, right, is ultimately really soul rending in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, reading the, the Facebook the piece about Facebook content moderators and so on. One thing that kind of struck me is that I don't deal with a lot of the high-powered stress that they deal with. I've had to add, I've had to erase the odd swastika off a desk. Not great, but it was one in like a couple months, you know, R- rather than it just being a constant stream of stuff just being beamed at my eyeballs. Mm, the kind of stress that I get to face and that my coworkers, fellow teachers get to face is very slow moving because you see these kids grow. You, you see what they develop into. And the moment that you realize that a kid is just completely out of reach for the moment that they might be redeemable later, but they just aren't now. They don't have the equipment for it. They don't have the emotional capability to realize that they're terrible human beings is kind of crushing, especially when it's a kid that you've as a teacher, invested time, invested effort in, and you just kind of see them turn to um, turn to the dark side, let's put it that way, before your eyes. But yeah. again, I, I didn't want to make this entire segment about teaching. There, There is one other industry. We talked about it on our last episode, and I kind of feel bad that we didn't get to talk about this on that last episode, so I'll bring it in now. Um, I'm betting that a number of you are familiar with a video game series called Mortal Kombat. And if I talk to you about Mortal Kombat and I ask you what's the thing that sets Mortal Kombat apart from everyone else, you're not going to tell me it's the good gameplay. You're (laughs) going to tell me it's the startlingly violent and brutal fatalities that made the series famous in the first place. And I don't know if you know this, but actual people have to animate those. That's not like a computer sitting there figuring out, oh, yes, this is how ripping out a spine looks. And they're not happy about it. There's an article from Kotaku by uh, Joshua Rivera that came out actually just over a week ago where he discusses 
he discusses interviews with employees who just were facing this entire range of psychological symptoms, PTSD, dissociation, which is as an induced symptom of work, kind of ridiculous. That's intense. It, it's bad. It's, it's very bad. Um, they were like the Facebook content moderators. They were turning, uh, they were turning to just offensive behavior themselves just to kind of stave off mental decline and breakdown. And, you know, this is a particularly lurid case because we're talking here about a game where uh, that, that is the point, the gore and the violence and so on. But one of the things that, that they reported is, once again, just how completely unbothered their bosses were by all this. And NetherRealm, which makes the Mortal Kombat series, famously got in trouble, I want to say it was last year, it may have been a couple of years ago, for uh, horrendous employment practices, like doing pre-crunch, so crunch before the crunch, f- while bosses just got to leave after dinner. And, you know, employees would be working 12-hour days every day for four months, leaving only because it was their birthday or they had a wedding and they had to be on call that day, things like that. And the and, and employees turned to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and, and agencies like that, and those agencies completely sold them out. They basically said, nope, this is not a problem. So what you've got is... It, it is a particularly lurid case in terms of the outcome because we can all see it and interact with it. But I think one thing that you're seeing, and I think Lou kind of brought this point up at the very beginning, is that these problems are extremely common and that they all come from the same source, which is just, as Lou was saying in the last segment, the complete lack of respect that we have for anybody who actually has to work for a living. If you're somebody who is facing precarity, who is staring down the barrel of not being able to make rent, of not being able to buy food, of minor medical emergency completely wiping out your savings, this country and the people that make money off you don't care about you. I don't care how many times they tell you that they care. I don't care how much counseling. I don't care how much yoga. I don't (laughs) care how much, you know, I don't care what kind of frozen yogurt they give you. They don't care about you. And if you don't, and I'm betting that the grand majority of you listening to this know that already. But for the few of you that don't, let me just put it out there. Just just a FYI there, guys. You know, PSA, your boss doesn't care. It's really telling, and once again, it's for something that people consume as entertainment, that people and workers have to suffer mental anguish for your entertainment. It, it definitely makes you rethink the choices that we made, and it's different. Slightly different topic. My favorite fun fact about work satisfaction is that accountants have the si- highest levels of job satisfaction. Accountants. Yep. And everybody should have been an accountant. <laughs> well, and so that's true statistically, but mm-hmm. then you, we know several people who are or have been accountants and are familiar with them from uh, social media and other things, and they will also tell you of the things that they faced, you know, right. um, getting you know, seasonal work, right. you, you get tax brought season. on during tax season and then kicked to the curb immediately right. thereafter. Rich people who do not understand that they have to pay taxes. <laughs> that's a you know, challenging that that's one. That's a thing. And that they yell at you like you're the one who put the tax code in place. I would call that just ser- that service work. Like at that point where you're having to babysit ta- billionaires, um, that's no longer just accounting. That's like <laughs> counseling services. Yeah. Because they, they don't know how to function. Um, yeah. But to contrast <sighs> the accountants, because generally the reason why they – on average, report higher job satisfaction is because they have a set job. They put the numbers in, they crunch them, and then they go home. They can leave their their work behind for the most part. But to contrast accountants, you have air traffic controllers. That's what they're called, air cra- traffic controllers. You're saying that's the opposite of being that's an accountant. That's the opposite of being an accountant as far as job satisfaction. Our air traffic controllers routinely have the worst job satisfaction because it's an incredibly stressful job that the slightest mistake could result in hundreds of people not just not happy, dead. The pay is not very good. It requires hours and hours of training and school to get really crappy pay. They're constantly overworked because the government 
because of its infinite wisdom, as far as budgeting goes, uh, doesn't pay them very much or often. And then they're put on, was it? No, oh, government shutdown stuff. They're, they're kicked off work. They're furloughed. Furloughed. They're furloughed. Um, you know, they have to come to work without pay. And, and all of these add up to a situation where they really do not like their jobs. Yeah. Like at all. It also has to especially stick in your craw that Ronald Reagan personally hated your industry so right. much that he fired all of you at one point. Yeah. All of you yeah. for having the audacity to go on strike similar to um, certain other organization Ronald Reagan was the head of, the Screen Actors Guild, but that's a different episode. We'll and also, eventually. you know, if you think about it then, um, I always get this company's name wrong, Boeing, <laughs> is, um, then they're kind of weirdly helping to take the load off air traffic controllers by refusing to put the right software in their planes. Yeah. So at least, you know, that's not the ATC's fault. That's themselves. the plane. Yeah. Oh, too soon? No. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's so, you know, you have on the one hand a job with accounting where it's really set, it's structured, a small error is not going to end lives. And then on the other hand, you have a job where a small error will literally kill people and you get no thanks for it whatsoever. Because who who goes around, you know what we need? We need a national thank your air traffic controller day. You know, forget every other whatever. They are the ones that keep us safe. What I think it would probably be better rather than just like have a day because that's part of the joke though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, that whether it's NetherRealm or whether it's uh, Cognizant, which I haven't said the name of, but that's the vendor that was doing the Facebook content moderation or whether it's your workplace for the problems that you have that are caused by the nature of the beast, which is work to be clear. Workplaces love to offer sort of, you know, superficial amenities. They'll, they'll say, oh, we'll have a counselor during part of the workday, or maybe if you're lucky, all of the workday. We'll offer you a hotline. You can call this number and get your, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you an employee assistance program so you can afford 10 therapy sessions. But during all of that, number one, you have to be working there. The moment you leave or let go, which in a lot of these jobs is going to be very common because stress tends to be a source of turnover, those services will no longer be available to you probably when you most need them because unemployment is in and of itself a source of stress. And second of all, these amenities don't really change what the ultimate problem is. If Facebook tomorrow decided that it was going to celebrate National Content Moderator Appreciation Day... <laughs> They could probably, I mean, it's Mark Zuckerberg. He could put some serious money behind making that a real thing. But that wouldn't change what the job is no. the rest of the time. And that certainly wouldn't change the reasons that it's a horrible job in the first place. Yeah. I, I think it would be, besides the slightly facetious conclusion I have or the, the solution I have that everybody, every job needs a day, thanks, thank your air traffic controller day, is that... As a society at large, we do not think about these little menial jobs that, you know, so-called menial jobs that make everything function. You know, you don't think about how the person, your barista, making your coffee day in and day out, you know, you make their coffee wrong, congratulations, your day is ruined. That, that says a lot about you and not so much about them. But, you know, you have the ability to just flip and go crazy in yelling, I mean, every few weeks we see somebody, some video of a, a customer losing their minds at a restaurant like a Dunkin' Donuts or, or whatever because they got the order wrong. You know, that's the kind of stress that workers have to put up with. And it's inexcusable. And we don't think about the stress that we cause to other workers. We really don't. And I think... Part of the problem, to go back to something that we were just talking about, is we don't really have a conception of what it means, overused phrase alert, to live in a society. Do we live in a society? Uh, we do, and but we don't really know what that means in any real sense. Because 
so I'm not saying that, you know, having a, a minimum of 20% for tipping or, you know, having a rule that you never send food back or whatever, right? I'm not saying those are bad things at all. But you do see people pat themselves on the back a lot for doing that kind of thing. And quite honestly, I don't think if if that's what you're staking your claim to being a good person on, I don't think you understand that you're not providing for chances are good that for the person that you do that for, what you are providing is baseline. Because if you're that if you're that person in that interaction as somebody who in a very roundabout way, ends up having the same kind of tension. If you're somebody who has hundreds of interactions a day with hundreds of other people, all of whom in in some way, shape, or form you serve, what you find very quickly is that the thing that's killing you inside is anticipation. You're wondering, is this person going to turn out to be a monster? Absolutely. There you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. I can't. Every day I play that game of, ooh, how is this person going to really ruin my day? And like if somebody approaches where I work from a certain angle, I'm already tensing up, expecting to get chewed out for something that had nothing whatsoever to do with me, but somehow is still under my purview. I in every day I feel that. And that's sort of one of the that's sort of one of the worst parts of what we're talking about here. That so your bosses largely don't care about you, and then the rest of us don't care about you either. We we've proven that over and over again, and I'm sure that every single one of us has moments that we'd rather regret in that regard. But we don't really. Uh, what's that theme I was talking about just now? Yeah, we don't really take steps to fix it. Most of us, we're just kind of happy to say, oh, well, you know, the next time I'll be better to waiter slash barista slash service person slash cashier slash whatever number 127 that I run into today. That seems overboard, but whatever. (laughs) But I think what we're getting at is that this is not an intractable problem. There are solutions. And when we come back from break, we'd like to talk about what some of those are. If you're listening to this on the radio, congratulations. It's the exact middle point of the work week. If that doesn't make you feel any better, try listening to more Punching Out. All our past shows are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Noah, and I'm still joined by Lou. Hello. We've been talking for the past 40 minutes or so about the ways in which our work um, dehumanizes us mentally and emotionally. And towards the end of our last segment, we started discussing ways in which maybe we could fix that. And we sort of got into a personal aspect of that. But now we'd really like to talk about taking things a little bit beyond just you know, what can you or I do to help someone's day be better or at least not be worse and discuss a little bit, you know, more concrete things that we as a country, as a society could do to help workers. I mean, a good first step would be to have a comprehensive Medicare for all plan that included mental health. One, because then people could get help if the stress and, and anxiety that they feel is because of work. Two, it would give people the freedom to leave a job that's causing them pain if they want to. You know, every few months or so, they talk about how many workers, or they have a survey about how many workers are staying at the current job they have just because of the benefits involved. Um, And, you know, honestly, it would give people so much more freedom to participate in the workforce in more meaningful ways if they didn't, need a job because it provided them with health care. I, I think that's absolutely key, that second point, the idea that you no longer have to be tethered to a job that you hate and which is probably tearing you up inside just because without it, you will not be able to afford you know, therapy or counseling or health care, especially when the reason you need the therapy and the counseling in the first place is the job. It, it's it's almost a little bit um, that that kind of recursive 
negative feedback loop would could be avoided with something like that. And honestly, that kind of gives the game away as to why so much of this country's business community and corporate community really hates the idea of something like Medicare for All. They're fine with some versions, I think, of expanded healthcare and things like that. They'll fight them, but they can live with them. But they're not okay with something like this because it gives the average worker freedom. It lets them actually do the thing that, as we were saying, it, your, you know, your, your economists and people like that will tell you, people can make a rational decision to leave a job and whatnot. Well, no, they can't because very often the reasons they're there for their job isn't, you know, the paycheck itself or, I don't know, the amount of, or specifically the hours, but the benefits, the health insurance, yeah. the health insurance for their families, for their spouses. You enact something like Medicare for All, all of that goes away. Mm -hmm. It is suddenly much more possible for somebody like you or me uh, who because of the way our society is set up, have to work for a living instead of sitting there and collecting, you know, everyone else's cash as profit yeah. and then not pay any of it back in taxes. It, it makes it possible for one of us to say, no, I don't have to stay at this job right. just so I can afford the counseling I need because I'm doing this job. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, to talk about Medicare for all for a bit, it's really astonishing that right now the the current arguments against Medicare for all is, well, people love their work insurance. <laughs> Which, <laughs> who loves their insurance? I mean, honestly, have you ever met somebody who loves their insurance? Well, anybody. No, not personally. No, I don't. I, I honestly believe that these people do not exist and there is not a single person out there who loves their insurance. Hard disagree. The people who are saying that are saying that because they have cushy health insurance plans guaranteed by their employers who are always like white shoe law firms or right. university economics departments that are privately funded or things like that where, you know. Yeah, no, it's all those those cushy, cushy job people. And it's, but the second I feel that they have to dispute an MRI coverage, they would immediately be like, oh, wait, this is not fun. I don't like this. I could be doing something else. Or or they would have the audacity to sue the insurance company for their time because especially lawyers, they'd like to oh, do yeah. that. Almost certainly. No, you're absolutely right. I think, though, you've kind of gotten in an interesting aspect of that there because that's why the health insurance plans that, you know, like a senator or a congressperson gets – or somebody that wants to influence the vote of a senator or a congressperson gets, there's a reason they're so expansive and just so... Um, comprehensive? Comprehensive, yes, thank you. Because it allows them to not have to worry about a medical emergency. Right. That's the thing that Medicare for All would do for the rest of us. And I think what you see with people is that they react the same way that... You know, if you're somebody who makes, I don't know, 19 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour or whatever, the same way that those people react when you tell them, well, um, we want to we want to fight to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks, 15 bucks an hour for everybody. That's the, that's the minimum wage that we want. And they all instantly go, well, that makes my wage worth so much less. And it's like, no, it doesn't. It just right. means you can't lord it over people right. as extensively as you can now mm -hmm. if your entire sense of self-worth is coming from your relative position in society compared to other people then i'm sorry but you're not actually in any meaningful sense a human being in a society you're not acting as somebody as a citizen yeah you're acting as an individual economic competitor and i'm sorry to say it but you are a net drag right to go off of that, going back to mental health, that's a, a you know, divorcing your self-worth as a human from your job would also go some ways, not not as significant as, as having universal health care, uh, towards decreasing the emotional toll that work has on people. You know, uh, I went to a wedding last year where I was absolutely 100% the least well-paid person in the room. And I was kind of fine with it. I mean, it would have been nice to be able to 
also afford the fun vacations that everybody else was talking about. But I think what was most jarring was just the look that everybody else had as they turn around. You did what? I don't understand. Because they, they put so much value in themselves on their job title. And I myself am guilty of, of putting way too much of my own personal worth in what I do. I just incidentally also like what I do, weirdly. Well, you can always do what I do. You can have a horrible, thankless job that everybody acknowledges makes you a net drag on society for doing it. And then you can't derive any self-worth from it because it's impossible. Yeah, no, no, that's bad. Yeah, it's not great. I'm not going to do that. No, thank you. Um, But this is the third segment, and we're supposed to be positive during this one. So rather than continuing to wallow in the bleakness... So Medicare for All goes some of the way to closing this gap. Things like comprehensive mental health services, things like that. Not, you know, a hotline that you can call as the chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK suggested. Or, uh, you know, having expanding counseling hours. So the workplace counselor, you know, the one person for all 300 of you is available all eight hours instead of four. That's not enough, right? But... Even beyond mental health services, we were talking about um, how we all need to develop more of a conscience in how we deal with each other. And this flies in the face of a lot of convictions that people, regardless of political stripe, have about how they treat other people and how they want to treat other people. But I think there's a political side to that that you can't really argue on a personal basis. Ultimately the expression of that social conscience is workplace democracy. If we acknowledge that the way we structure work right now is emotionally and mentally damaging, not just neutral and certainly not positive, but damaging to a huge amount of the people that work in these places, giving them ownership over those workplaces would be the single largest boon to their ability to continue doing their jobs or whatever the equivalent term would be at that point in an effective manner that is also safe for them. We acknowledge in plenty of respects, not and including, in my case, the classroom, that you should listen to the people that actually have to do the work that you put in front of them because they know best how to get that work done. They know best what they need. But in society writ large, it basically takes an investigative uh, article or some or a viral video or something like that to even get a company to make the smallest concessions. And I'm sorry, but we literally don't have the time for that. Yeah, it's it, it's it's not even a question of whether it's morally right or not anymore. It's literally a question of it's the only thing that will be sufficiently responsive. I mean, you you could not be more right, Noah, in that workplace democracy is would solve so many problems, including the harm that is caused because of a work being mentally difficult or, or damaging. So if you think back to those Facebook moderators, just one aspect of something that causes them undue stress is the metrics that they're forced to live to in order to be considered a good job. Not even like decent or or passable. No, you you have to meet this 95% threshold that even as a company as a whole, they can't do. That's not a threshold that is realistic in any capacity. And even spending five seconds talking to any moderator, somebody could realize that. But because this is a metric that's set by a company that ultimately isn't even employing those workers, they're contracted out to some other company, that's a complete divorce from reality. And it's causing them harm and and fear about the permanence of their job. Again, they serve as a particularly obvious example of these issues that we're talking about because the stuff that they're dealing with is so negative. Right. And um, just terrifying. Like, that's something 
again, we talk about this when it comes to like veterans, you know, you can't get into an argument on Facebook with somebody who used to be in the army without hearing, you don't know what it's like if on Facebook, ironically, you don't know what it's like unless you've been (laughs) over there, right? Well, these are people that if you saw them on the street and they told you what they do for a living, which by the way, they can't because they all, yep. They all had to sign non-disclosure agreements saying you can't even admit that Facebook is a client of this company. That That's the degree to which they are controlled even outside of work. That's the amount of stuff that they have to take home with them and not mention to anyone else that they know. And if you're somebody who knows one of these people and maybe, I don't know, because you think it's funny or whatever – you share some of the content that they end up monitoring. Imagine how much less likely you might be to do that if somebody you know is at the other end. If somebody that whose name yeah. and birthday and you know and face you you know in your heart and you know there's a small possibility that that's the person who gets to see the thing I just posted. There's a lot built into this about the so not only the social contract writ large, but just the the little interactions that we have with each other. We've been very willing to self-atomize. And now we're beginning to see what that results in for basically anybody that we deal with on a daily basis. It results in them getting taken advantage of by people that don't give one whit about them as employees or as human beings. And it results in them being even more separated from the rest of us. And this is punching out, so you won't be surprised to find out that our answer to that is collective power. We already said workplace democracy, but, you know, effectively that means giving workers the ability to represent themselves as the people who do the actual work. Not the guy who has the fancy title and the nameplate and talks about how, well, we asked them all, you know, can you handle this work? But the people who actually have to handle it, they should get to tell you what they need. Absolutely. Before you go, I want to take a few minutes to just think about what that Facebook moderator, what their job would look like if they had the ability to democratize their workplace. Okay. And number one, I think what Noah, you just pointed out was that they would probably then say, no, I get to talk about this elsewhere. I get to vent somewhere else. I'm not going to sign the NDA that forbids me from doing that. You know, because that there's an adage somewhere of, um, you know, burden shared is a burden halved. And that that is one of the things that had kept me saying this spring is the ability to vent to people about the situation, even if a lot of it was confidential. I, I could vent that. And that definitely helped. So that would be one. Two, I think they would somehow figure out a way to decrease the content that they have to view every day. Like less, lower that number, that threshold that they have to do. Yeah, they would almost certainly, instead of having to view 300, 400 posts a day, it would probably be 100, 200. Right. Right. Because the, the, the pace that they have been set is because they're contracted out and because they don't have direct control over what's happening. You know, the company that they work for told Facebook and Twitter, I'm going to work, I'm going to do this much for you. This is how much content I will moderate and that's what I will do it because I am a good, efficient capitalist worker. And that what's gives that's what gives them the leverage to force their workers to do as much work as they do. And if the workers had direct control over what they did, they can say, no, this is bad. This is too much. I can't do this. And they would have that ability to do so. They would probably also get rid of that moronic accuracy metric, where at the very least it wouldn't be based on three levels of agreement with the people who, I mean, you just kind of hit on it. The work is contracted out. Facebook has no incentive to treat them fairly, they probably don't even have a way to enforce these supposed changes that they announced. But under a better system, they probably wouldn't be able to, I mean, under a better system, they wouldn't exist. But marginal improvement, they wouldn't be able to simply contract the workout and then completely forget about the people that do it. Yeah. And furthermore, I think 
probably the thing that would most affect their ability to work would be to be more vocal about the things that they're seeing, which goes in part with the first thing I said of being able to vent and say, this is what I do. Because I think as a society, that job will always be the worst job ever until we recognize the pain that we're putting our fellow humans through by showing it, by, by for our simple passive entertainment, the harm that we're causing. And that's that's going to be a bigger thing that may never happen because you know that's definitely pie in the sky thinking, but until that happens, that job will always be the pits. It will. But I think the point we're trying to make, just because again, third segment, we're trying to be positive, um, is that there are ways to minimize the pain of that job and to at least give the people who are doing it some sense, I guess, that. This doesn't have to be an endless slog through the cesspool of the worst that humanity has to offer. It can maybe one day with some of the stuff that we're proposing here be marginally, be maybe even significantly better to do or at least be something that's not going to tear your heartstrings one by one out of you and turn you into a flat earther or into a 9-11 truther or you might instead be able to regard it as that thing that people keep telling you to think of your work as when you tell them when you vent to them and tell them this is why my job sucks to think of it as just work right and it's sad to think that that would be an improvement but in the case of a lot of people it would be Mm -hmm. we could keep talking about this forever i suspect but unfortunately we've only got an hour so for today I'm Noah. And I'm Lou. And this was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.